Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi everyone, well, it's Thursday again and welcome back for another episode of the Dig Deep The Mining Podcast. And today's guest, who uh, most of you would know, is uh, Rick Rawl, who's the President and CEO of Sprott US Holdings. Um, Sprott is a global asset uh, management company provide investors with access to highly differentiated precious metals and real estate investment strategies um, and has 11.5 billion under assets under management. Um, most of you obviously would know Rick. Um, he's a highly experienced investor in natural resources. Um, and we spoke to Rick back in July last year on this podcast, um, which was episode number 32. So if you want to revisit that, um, Please do so and um, see what he said then and obviously see what he's going to say uh, now. So let's get straight into this and I want to welcome uh, Rick. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing very well and thank you for allowing me to visit with your audience. I appreciate no, that. Oh, no, I appreciate, appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. So um, I don't think we need too much of an introduction, but um, you can give us a very brief overview um, of of yourself and and what you've been doing um, the last few months or since since uh, the beginning of the year. I've been uh, I'm partially embarrassed to say uh, a natural resource investor and investment manager since about 1975, uh, which is to say going on 45 years. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a boring guy. I've done one thing all of my adult life. Uh, I built a business uh, in the United States, a money management and transactional business which I sold to Sprott in 2010. So I've been uh, employed under the Sprott banner since 2010. Uh, I'm the largest shareholder and I run some aspects of the US business. Uh, in direct answer to your question, what I've been doing during the lockdown is freed from having to travel the globe and subject myself to customs and immigration and strange hotels speaking <laughs> conferences. Uh, I've done a lot of things like this, uh, which I must say, um, are an awful lot easier. The, the idea that I can uh, uh, talk to your audience without having to subject myself to the indignity of travel and the thousands of dollars in expense uh, is a blessing. Yeah, There's exactly. a lot missing, perhaps, in electronic as opposed to personal communication. But I have to say, it's uh, a lot more pleasant and you can do a lot of it. Yeah, certainly. And also, you haven't got an audience asking you certain questions that you might find it uneasy to uh, uneasy to answer so um at least the truth is I'm, I'm getting uh, 200 to 250 inbound emails a day uh so there's plenty of opportunity for <laughs> personal interaction uh I, i'm actually buried in it and quite enjoying it to be honest with you Okay, that's good. Well, hopefully, yeah, uh, quite a few people who are gonna who listening to this uh, podcast will uh, certainly take advantage of that. Um, so, first of all, the big question: um, How's the coronavirus sort of affected the mining and resources companies and stocks um, sort of over the last month or two? What have you seen? 
Well, I think there's two answers to that. In, in terms of the companies, uh, certainly for companies in countries like Mexico and Peru that shut down their mining industries entirely, yeah. uh, you're going to see some really, truly pathetic quarters. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tough to make money from a mine if you have no people mining. Uh, for the smaller companies that were playing chicken with the market, uh, just-in-time capital raises, the fact that the market shut down will be, of course, very inconvenient for them. Uh, I think longer-term impacts, you have to bifurcate the market into precious metals and other materials. I, I say that because my belief is that the um, uh, economic circumstance brought in by the coronavirus had to happen anyway. We'd had a 10-year economic expansion. And in my experience, 10 years of expansion uh, is very long of tooth. I'm no economist, but I am a credit analyst. And I can tell you in my 45 or 50 years in markets, uh, 10 years is a very long expansion. So I think a recession was in order. Uh, I had feared a long, boring recession, four or five years long. Uh, you know, lower highs, lower lows. And recessions are very difficult on industrial materials, difficult on copper, difficult on oil. Well, we haven't gotten a long, boring recession. We've gotten a short, vicious recession. And so while I would have expected in things like copper or oil that the pricing bottom would be hit in 2023, late 2023, looking for a recovery in 2024, a better recovery in 2025, my suspicion is that we'll see the commodity pricing bottom this year. Okay. Uh, I think it'll be lower <laughs> than it is. <laughs> um, and so I think we're going to be in difficult times across a broad array of industrial materials. But the consequence of facing difficult times is that when we get through it, we get through it earlier. Yeah. Precious metals is very different. Yeah. The policy response that we have seen to the economic slowdown, which is to say quantitative easing, or what you and I might call counterfeiting, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the destruction of balance sheets uh, around the world, government balance sheets around the world, this policy response is tailor-made for gold. Uh, and in my experience, the metal moves based on fear, so it moves first. When the metal's pricing works its way through the income statement of gold producers, then the shares begin to move. Silver, in my experience, moves after gold, and silver stocks move the last of all. Uh, being rare beasts <laughs> and more volatile, my experience has been that the most upside for those who have patience and courage is in the silver stocks. Uh, but remember my caution rather than my conclusion. To play that game, one must have patience and one must have courage. Yeah. Uh, so I, as I say, I would say the re response to your question really depends on whether you are a precious metals investor or a base metals investor. If you're a precious metals investor, my suspicion is that this will be a very pleasant year for you. No guarantees with regards to that, but I really believe that the wind is in gold sales. And the consequence of that is that the gold stocks will move after the move in gold shows up in first the income statement and then the balance sheet of the precious metals mining companies. Okay. And I suppose this is a very general question. How, how do you see sort of mining companies uh, reacting to this uh, epidemic? Um, and again, how is it affecting their balance sheets? Well, right now, I think the lessons of the bear market uh, and the lessons of the misallocation of capital in the last decade have been very well learned. The mining companies seem, at least for the time, 
to be uh, cautious, intelligent, improving their operations, uh, and making strategic or bolt-on acquisitions as opposed to the wildly stupid acquisitions that we saw in the period 2000 to 2010. Yeah. So my belief is that we're in a real sweet spot. Uh, managements for the first time in probably 30 years are acting intelligently and rational, rationally. The product price is going up. <laughs> uh, and there is cash available for intelligent plans and projects, uh, cash readily available for intelligent plans and projects. And, and coming off the bear market, there are also actionable and acquirable projects. Uh, I see this as almost a perfect circumstance. Now, that doesn't mean that either commodity prices, precious metals prices, or precious metals prices, precious metals equities prices, will be in a lockstep stairway to heaven. The nature of these businesses is that they're extremely volatile. And anyone who plays this game must have the psychological stamina to accept a 20% decline for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Volatility works that way. You're probably not old enough to remember the decade of the 70s, but in the- I was just born then. The gold price was $35 US. At the end of the decade, it was $850 US. In the middle of the decade, the price had gone from $35 an ounce to $200 an ounce. Uh, and of course, that price performance had justified the gold narrative and everybody was wildly bullish. The US government allowed interest rates to rise, which strengthened the currency. And it took the gold quote from $200 to $100, a 50% decline in seven months. Uh, the truth is that the government lost their courage, took the interest rate down, and the gold price then advanced from 100 to 850. The point is that these are extremely volatile, extremely cyclical markets. I believe we are in a precious metals bull market, but I believe if you let a decline shake you out of it, you will miss the best part of the market. Similarly, these stocks, remember that gold stocks are stocks, uh, and when you have a real liquidity crisis, in the near term, you have a downdraft in all equities, gold or not. So I think we're in for very good times, but it's going to take, uh, in American parlance, a rodeo rider to enjoy <laughs> because uh, it's not going to be lockstep stairway to heaven. Yeah. I understand. Um, obviously, you mentioned about, obviously, there's a lot of money for good projects. What would you say is a good project that you would invest in in this, in this time now as you see it, which may be we're, different to what you would invest in maybe last year? We're really investing across the spectrum. But most of the money that's available is available for tier one projects, which I would define uh, as a project that's in the best quartile worldwide in terms of return on capital employed uh, and in terms of total production cost. Uh, money is not generally available for projects that in a gold equivalent basis cannot produce in excess of 100 to 150,000 ounces a year, although that will come later. As to what we're investing in, we're really investing across the board, uh, including investing in earlier sectors than most of the other investors are willing to participate in at this moment. The themes that we see as, uh, as attractive are really broad. Uh, my experience has been early in a precious metals bull market. The biggest and best companies, the best of the best, move first. And we think this this move has some room to come. We're seeing the return of generalist investors to the space 
in spades. Uh, and my experience has been that they concentrate around the largest and most liquid companies. The fact that the market bifurcates with the largest and most liquid companies enjoying the best share price escalation and therefore the, lo the lowest cost of capital brings you into a merger and acquisition cycle uh, where companies that have a lower cost of capital buy companies that have a higher cost of capital. So we've been involved in merger and acquisition speculation in Sprott for probably 18 months. That effort is uh, led by the investing legend, John Hathaway, who recently joined us. And we've enjoyed real success. And we think this uh, mergers and acquisition theme has 18 to 24 months to go really in spades. Okay, yeah. Uh, we are also noticing a bifurcation in valuation between the largest and the finest royalty and streaming companies and the mid-tier royalty and streaming companies. We think that royalty and streaming is a very good business, but we notice that there's probably 20 royalty and streaming companies in organization. And we think the third tier royalty and streaming companies are gonna see a shakeout at the same time that we see the second tier royalty and streaming companies probably do very well, do catch-ups in valuation. We see too, that money, both debt and equity, is available now for project development. And there's been a hiatus in project development for six or eight years. So we are particularly attracted to uh, uh, companies with good projects that have the feasibility studies complete and are on, in effect, the runway to production. The capital markets have been largely closed to those companies for eight or nine years. The markets are wide open, uh, and the larger companies who haven't invested for eight or nine years have a desperate need for those projects once they've been yeah. de uh, We also notice, uh, finally, that very good drill holes get noticed. Uh, and to the extent that we have the third dimension, that is that the truth machine uh, has put a couple of holes into a deposit, and we can get a sense as to what the possible dimension of the product project is. Uh, and whether and whether we think that the grade is economic, certainly in circumstances like this, uh, that's been Sprott's franchise for 40 years. The extraordinarily high high quality drill hole play, uh, and I, as opposed to the rest of Sprott, perhaps, uh, have always been interested in Greenfield's generative exploration. Yeah. Uh, I don't suspect that I'll be rewarded for that interest for probably 18 months. The nature of the business that it is that it moves from the uh, lowest risk, uh, lowest reward endeavor to the highest risk, highest reward endeavor over two years. And I would suspect that that's the case. Uh, we are also attempting to position uh, clients in very high quality silver companies, because as I say, silver moves after gold and the silver stocks move last. But in my experience, the silver stocks move furthest. There are probably 60 or 70 silver pretenders worldwide. We think there are five or six silver contenders worldwide. And so we're trying to crowd the money into the contenders and ignore the pretenders. Yeah. And again, we might not be rewarded for this activity for 12 to 18 months. But my experience has been when they move, they really move. <clears throat> and I, I'd like, uh, if you might, to address something else with regards to precious metals equity markets that might be of use to your, to your uh, uh, readers. Uh, we have, and we use as an educational tool, uh, about a 50-year-long stock chart. I'm not a technical analyst, but it's a wonderful illust illustrative tool. It's the Barron's Gold Mining Index stock chart 
I use it because it's the broadest, most comprehensive uh, gold mining equities index that I know of. And also because it's very long, uh, it has a very long history. And you immediately notice several things when you look at the chart. The first is that the decline that we have just been through, the 2011 to 2019 decline, is an extraordinarily long decline. And these are cyclical markets. The chart shows you fairly immediately that we are close to the bottom, at the bottom, or much more likely off the bottom of a decline that's been one for the record books, both in terms of its duration and in terms of its depth. The second thing that you see is that there have been eight prior recoveries from oversold bottoms. And these recoveries have varied in intensity between 180% index upside, not single performing stocks, but index, 180% index upside and 1200% index upside. So the recovery, if we're right, uh, we suspect could be dramatic. Uh, if past is prologue, somewhere between 180% and 1,200%. Over periods of time as brief uh, as 14 months and as long as 42 months. Where would you, and where would you be hedging your bets with that then? I don't have one. I, I mean, I, my, my own personal suspicion, I'm not an economist, my personal suspicion is that the damage that's being done to currencies because of quantitative easing yeah. and the damage that's being done to balance sheets uh, because of borrowing and deficits uh, means that the wind is really, truly in gold's sails. I, I can't imagine a, a policy response that puts in place a macro uh, theme that is better for gold. Uh, but I'm old enough and wise enough that I won't give you a specific height or a specific time. Yeah. <laughs> I will only say in very broad terms that I've been in this business for many years and I haven't seen a circumstance uh, in terms of government foolishness and stupidity that's ever rivaled uh, what I've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, I've got a question from uh, our, one of our listeners. Um, and in the wake of obviously the oil um, prices crashing recently um, to obviously unpre unprecedented levels. Where do you see the um, battery metal sector heading? Um, and will that deter people from sort of embracing electric vehicles in the near, near and long-term future? And that's from uh, Timothy Strong asked that question. I see the next 12 to 18 months being difficult for all industrial materials. Uh, I, I think oil's way, way oversold. Uh, what we're seeing in the oil business is the most precipitous uh, but non-permanent decline in demand that we've ever seen. Yeah. And we're literally running out of places to put it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 might be, it, might good in, so it might be good investing in a company that actually stores the, uh, stores the actual oil. Yeah, you'd have to do some work because this circumstance will cure itself. That's the way these things work. My, my personal prejudice is that we've been in a 10-year-long economic recovery, as I have said, and my suspicion is that that recovery is more to do with liquidity, that is to see artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing, than it was improvement in improvements in technology and efficiency or economic growth. And I believe that we had to have a recession, a reset anyway, uh, and that Corona brought it on sooner and more viciously than we had expected. The consequence of that is that I think that you'll see all activity, uh, be it internal combustion engine activity, 
distributed power activity, electric vehicle activity, construction pick an activity. Uh, you are going to see everything weaker for the next two or three or four years than you otherwise would have. I believe that the, I don't want to call it electronic vehicle. I would say the distributed power uh, bull market is very, very, very much intact if you have a six or seven year time frame. But if you have an 18 month time frame, and remember many of your listeners have trauma holding stock over a long weekend. Uh, <laughs> If you, if you have a time frame that is uh, less than a year or less than 18 months, I think you need to be cautious across the spectrum of non-precious metals, raw materials. Further to the discussion with regards to the battery metals versus oil, uh, that's a discussion that will play out over 30 or 35 years. The, the truth is that the internal combustion engine and other forms of consuming oil and gas uh, will be with us and will in fact grow uh, over the next 20 years. So uh, Greta notwithstanding, uh, the oil industry will be with us for a long time and will continue for at least two decades to be the finest of the extractive industry uh, subsets. That isn't to say that the next six to 12 months will be easy. Uh, but this is a sector that will be back and it will be back with an absolute vengeance when it comes back, just not soon. I can imagine, obviously, whatever goes down, obviously comes back up. So, yeah, I, sort of, I, I obviously agree with you there. What you're uh, just obviously speaking about finance, what are your thoughts on sort of Bitcoin and that being introduced into the mining industry? Well, it depends on if, if it's a broader topic, a broader discussion of the distributed ledger, uh, the blockchain. Uh, I think that has tremendous uh, possibilities throughout the commodity space, including operationally and mining. Yeah. At Sprott, we've invested several million dollars in blockchain and distributed technology around gold trading, gold storage, gold storage and gold ownership. And we have just begun to see uh, an incredible increase in utilization, uh, which is heartening. When you invest a few million dollars, you want those businesses to grow. And they're just, in fact, starting to grow. I'm not an expert on cryptocurrencies, and so I wouldn't want to comment particularly on Bitcoin, uh, other than to say that the reason that I, as a 67-year-old, prefer wealth denominated in gold to wealth denominated in Bitcoin is I see Bitcoin very much as a floating abstraction in the same way that I see the British pound, the euro, or the US dollars as floating abstractions. Promises to pay. The gold uh, has been a medium of exchange, but simultaneously a store of value, not a promise to pay, but, but, but payment. So for an old guy like me, uh, I sort of prefer gold. I understand the advantages of anonymity uh, with regards to Bitcoin uh, and other uh, instruments like it. And I love the fact that the trust component associated with it goes to the community rather than to the individual transaction. So I'm fascinated by it, but I personally would prefer a coin tied to physical gold <laughs> in a storage location that I could trust. Uh, color me old. Yeah, no, and I certainly agree with you. I've been, I've been actually studying a lot of uh, a lot around uh, gold, silver, um, and the economics. And yeah, certainly I I understand it all now. And yeah, obviously 
the precious metals are are store of value, whereas obviously currency is just being printed, and and you, you are probably going to see the currency maybe going into oblivion into oblivion, and it's just it, it may then just obviously disappear eventually. Um, oblivion sounds like a strong word unless you use it eventually. Okay. <laughs> Despite the fact that uh, your currency and my currency are being debased as we speak, yeah. uh, you need to keep a fair bit of liquidity in a market like this because having a, a fair bit of cash, uh, including fiat currency, will give you both the tools and the courage to take advantage of a volatile market rather than being taken advantage of by that market. So I would, I would urge you, uh, despite uh, my disparaging remarks with regards to the currency, to keep some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, I understand. Um, is there any other sort of metals or minerals we should be uh, keeping an eye on? You know, a whole range of them. Uh, I, I mentioned a chart at the beginning of this, the Barron's Gold Mining Index. Uh, we have another chart that's amazing. It's a 100-year commodity valuation chart. And what that chart shows us is that when we get through this recession, I don't know how long that's going to be, when we get through this recession, a lot of materials are being sold in the market for substantially below the cost to produce them. Uh, and that goes on only so long. When you, when you balance supply and demand by obliterating supply uh, and the supply-demand balance tightens up and the commodity prices begin to rise, the industry can't increase their production in the near term to, meet, to match the pricing signal. And so you have these incredible so-called rip-your-face-off rallies uh, in industrial materials. And you are going to see that. Uh, the International Energy Agency suggests that it costs between $50 and $60 a barrel, total cost, uh, including cost of capital to make oil. So right now, the industry is making the stuff for 50 bucks, uh, and they're selling it for 20 bucks. They're losing 30 bucks a barrel. They're doing it 85 million times a day. Uh, if you believe six years from now that when you walk to your garage and turn the key to the right, unless you have a Tesla, that the car will start, you believe in $50 oil. Because if you don't, you're not going to have any oil. Your car's not going to start. Yeah. If... Uh, uh, in the United States, and I think in Great Britain too, uh, nuclear power is sort of 15% of baseload power. The International Energy uh, Agency coincidentally says it costs 50 or $60 a pound to make uranium, full price, including prior year write-downs, money that went to money heaven. The stuff sells for 27, 28. So you make it for 50, you sell it for 30, you lose 20 bucks a pound, and you do that 90 million times a year. If you believe five or six years from now, Greta notwithstanding, that when you hit the wall switch in your studio that the lights will come on, that means that you believe in $50 uranium because if the industry can't earn its cost of capital, all that material goes to uranium heaven. So, further, if you believe that the power will get from the power plant to your home, you believe that the copper price will go to $3.50 US a pound, which is the incentive price for new copper. Right now, uh, it's at $2 a pound. If it maintains at $2 a pound for five years, uh, new construction will have a very difficult finding time finding copper. This chart shows you that at some point in time, and I can't tell you when that will be, uh, we are going to have a tremendous rally, a tremendous rally in industrial materials. My suspicion, and frankly, my hope, uh, is that at age 67, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm past my sell-by date here, that I will uh, celebrate my gradual exit from the business by experiencing a two or three year bull market in precious metals and precious metals equities, followed by a three or four year bull market in industrial materials. Uh, I actually could see myself enjoying uh, seven years of upcycle after nine years of downcycle. Certainly, I notice in my history in uh, extractive industries that bear markets are the cause of bull markets, and bull markets are the cause of bear markets. The legislature doesn't understand that the cure for low prices is always low prices, and the cure for high prices is always high prices. And I think your readers should recognize that we have gone through a bear market in all of these materials that is one for the record books, which is setting up a recovery that I believe will similarly be one for the record books. Lots of volatility to be sure, lots of cyclicality to be sure, lots of risk to be sure. But the truth is that in precious metals, I think the recovery is with us, and in industrial materials, three or four years hence, uh, there will be a tremendous recovery too. And I have the charts to prove it. Yeah. And with these uh, industrial materials that you were just talking about, will one lead another one or will they generally all go up? I tell you that. Uh, my suspicion in the very near term is that oil will lead uh, because uh, the incredible utility that oil offers uh, users. In terms of response in the equities, uh, that one's easy. When the uranium stocks run, there is no subclass of stocks in the world that is that valuable. Uh, if you remember back, most of your listeners weren't there, but if you remember back to the 2000-2006 bull market, at the beginning of that market, there were five uranium juniors in the world that had survived the 20-year bear market prior to that. The worst performer among those five in that six-year period of time went up 22 times, not 22%, 22 22%. Yeah. The best performer in that period, Paladin Resources, went from 10 cents to $10, not a typo, 10 cents to $10 in six months. So if you were looking for an asset class that will punish you in the interim, but reward you ultimately, uh, if you have the courage and the finances to take the risk, Certainly, the uranium subset historically has rewarded speculators <laughs> extravagantly, and we'll do so again. I'm not suggesting that the market that we will see this time will be as dramatic in terms of the upside of the commodity price, but my suspicion is that the uranium juniors that have survived this bear market in uranium, which is a 14-year bear market, uh, we'll see. Uh, a half a dozen uh, ten baggers, tenfold increases, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it certainly is, especially if you're backing those. Which I intend to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, really appreciate your time. I'm just going to conclude with one last question. Um, how do you see the sort of mining industry landscape after COVID-19 um, is out of the news and, say, looking from two Two, sorry, 2021 onwards. Um, I mean, what will mining companies be looking to do from an investment point of view moving through the decade? Well, it's going to be difficult in the industrial materials sector. Uh, all of the companies know that they need to add productive capacity because they haven't invested substantially in the last eight or nine years. And so they're all in shrinking mode. Uh, but the commodity price won't be on their side. And I think the financing landscape will be difficult. If you're BHP or Rio, 
that is, if you can fund internally, you are in a very, very, very sweet spot. If you can borrow on balance sheet and use uh, free cash flow for sustaining capital, these are the best of times. Yeah. Uh, these are absolutely the best of times. Below that, uh, you're going to need to be very tough, very smart, uh, have a good balance sheet, have good free cash flow, uh, have a reputation for good decision making. Uh, in the precious metals business, I suspect for the next two, three years, <laughs> it's going to be tough to screw it up. There will be guys for sure who succeed, uh, but it's going to be tough to screw up. Uh, if I might uh, end on a note that I hope benefits your listeners, um, any of your listeners who have enjoyed this uh, uh, podcast and want to know what I think about their own stocks, uh, have me available to tell them. Uh, if any of your listeners care, uh, all they have to do uh, is email me at, or actually link to me at sprottglobal.com, S-P-R-O-T-T-G-L-O-B-A-L.com, front slash rankings. If you enter the names and symbols of your natural resource portfolio there, I will personally rank the companies. This isn't investment advice because I don't know everybody's personal parameters, yeah. but I will rank the companies one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst, and comment on those companies where I think that my comments have value. In addition to that, I will enclose in the return email the Barron's Gold Mining Index stock that I the stock chart which I refer to, which is the best visual tool that I know of to understand the gold equities markets, and the hundred-year commodity chart, uh, which, while it would be treacherous to participate in this this year, uh, will generate really truly spectacular profits. I suspect four years out. So once again, SprottGlobal.com front slash rankings. Uh, I will rank your natural resource portfolios and I will send copies of those two charts, which are wonderful, illustrative uh, aids to the discussion that you and I have been having today. Yeah, yeah, really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will um, take you on that and I will put that in the show notes as well. Um, I have got one very last question. Great. And I imagine a lot of junior miners will listen to this. What is their outlook? And I suppose what can they do in this present situation, in this present climate? Um, moving forward? You know, there's probably 1,500 junior miners worldwide, and there's probably 150 that are viable. Uh, the population that's non-viable does their best to remain viable. I, I have to say they're tenacious. I've described them as cockroaches, frankly. Um, <laughs> the viable juniors and about, I don't know, 20% of the non-viable juniors, uh, I suspect will have five pretty good years. Uh, they've been through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> and they have really, truly learned to survive. Uh, I was delighted, frankly, to see so many uh, non-viable mining juniors move on to industries that they knew and loved and performed in well, mostly cannabis. Uh, things that they understood and actually studied as opposed to mining, which seemed to be a lifestyle for them. Uh, the junior mining industry will always be uh, an industry where the expectation is failure. Uh, but the so much performance is generated by 5% of the issuers, by the serially successful practitioners, uh, that legitimacy and even luster is uh, retained in a sector where the expectation is failure. 
I really can't offer up too much advice to the juniors other than to say, if you're really compelling, that is, if you as managers have a track record of success, if you are engaged in an activity that is similar to the activity that you've enjoyed your past success in, uh, if you have a way to show us that you have the ability to develop a tier one deposit through exploration, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if your story is got a hunch, I want you to bet a bunch. Uh, we probably don't want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, that's sound, I mean, that's sound advice. I mean, obviously the junior mine, mining industry is always tough. And then, like you said, the resilient keep going. Um, yeah. And if they, if they believe in their project and they've obviously got a past history, um, they should know what they're doing and eventually something will come potentially come of it. Um, sure. I think it is needed in the mining industry, the, ju the juniors. Um, I agree with that. And the, the, the rumor that there's no capital available for them is wrong. There is a lot of money out there. The, the juniors came to prefer dumb money to smart money. Uh, and the dumb money went to money heaven. So for the next while, they're going to have to contend with smart money. Uh, but there's a lot of money around. Sprott has had inflows into our various investment products of between 20 and 50 million U.S. dollars a day. To so, to, and we're not alone. To suggest that there isn't money to allocate is foolish. Uh, it's just the story is going to have to be pretty good, and it's going to have to have a, a very real probability of being true. <laughs> certainly certainly i mean yeah i always hear the, the story that there isn't enough money around but there is always enough money around especially with the amount they're printing there is always money around for a good project and like you said the story has to be strong um and believe and, and believable um and obviously the the commodity needs to be um of of a long-term nature to uh, to get that investment correct yeah really appreciate your time rick I know, um, I know you're really busy and I really appreciate your time doing this uh, podcast. Um, I'll put the um, details in the show notes for them to contact you. Um, are you also on other social medias at all? I know um, you're on LinkedIn and do you? Yeah, do you, can, you, you can find most of my stuff at sprottusmedia.com. Uh, most of the things we do are our own podcasts and videos. Uh, industry podcasts that are well known like yours, we have yeah. we of course do as well. But the easiest way to follow me is probably Sprout US Media. Okay, no worries. Really appreciate your time, um, Rick. And if it, if, for those that are listening, appreciate if you can uh, pass this podcast on to uh, other colleagues that you may know and may think that they could um, get some value out of this. Um, I know I've certainly got some value and I know a lot of the listeners uh, would have got a lot of value. So really appreciate your time, Rick, again. Um, and yeah, stay safe and, um, yeah, happy mining. Always a pleasure. I, I, I look forward to another opportunity sometime in the future. Yeah, no worries. Will do. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.